Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Um, Let's get in the Word today, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Lord, that first line will preach all by itself. The Lord took hold of me (laughs) and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with dry bones he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor they were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out and then he asked me son of man can these bones become living people again (laughs) oh sovereign Lord I replied you alone know the answer to that and then he said to me speak a prophetic message. Prophesy to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of God. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Can you say amen to the reading of the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, you told us in the book of James that we we should humble ourselves before you. And Lord, I do that right now. I confess that I don't have any wisdom. I don't have any knowledge. I don't have any strength. I don't have any influence. I don't have any righteousness in and of myself. Lord, everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I do uh, is because of you. And Lord, I hope it is, it's my desire that, that everything that I do is for you and for your name and for your glory. Lord, your word also says that we can humble ourselves before the Lord and then we can resist the devil and he'll flee. And so based on the fact that we've completely humbled ourselves before you, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every, that every uh, enemy, every evil spirit, that would come against the understanding and the reception of this, uh, of this word today, Lord, would be, uh, would be bound up in the name of Jesus. That pride, that confusion, that fear, that complacency, spiritual laziness, everything that would come against the hearing and the understanding and the application of your word would be bound in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I lose, I lose humility and, and I lose a clear understanding of your word in this house today, Lord, that we would that we'd not just hear it but we, and not, not just understand it, Lord, we'd put it to practice in our lives. God, I pray that you would set your people free today in the name of Jesus. Break the chains, break the chains that are on our minds and on our lives that are holding us back from doing what it is that you have called us and gifted us and anointed us and positioned us to do. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Starting a brand new series this morning that is a companion to the On Mission series that we just finished. 
It's really part of the same conversation. So if you didn't hear uh, the On Mission series, I would really, really encourage you to go and listen to that as quickly as you can. I believe that this is the word of the Lord, and I don't say this very often, but I believe this is the word of the Lord for this church at this critical juncture in, in our life together as a body. For such a time as this, I believe that this, these are the messages that God is trying to speak to us. I told you the uh, last time that we were together, Bishop preached last week and did a phenomenal job. It was right in line with, with everything that was going on. I didn't say anything to him, um, but he, he, he prepared us for this. You, he, he told us that if you're going to do something different, you're going to experience something different, then you have to do something different. Right, you have to think different. You have to act different. You have to believe differently. So that's kind of what we're we're beginning today. I told you that when we were together last time, that that the last few months when I've been praying for you and over you, that the overwhelming image that I got in my mind as I did that was this passage that we just read: dry bones, dry bones. God has a mission for us. God has a vision and a purpose for us. But before we can go and get busy with what it is he's called us to do, he's calling us in for maintenance, right? We talked about that from Ephesians 4. He's calling us in to get mended and to get repaired and to get restored from whatever it is that's dried out our bones. The challenge, though, is not just to identify the source of the drying out, but to figure out how to get these bones rehydrated and reconnected and ready for action. So, so this series, uh, starting today, is called Rehydrate. It's called Rehydrate. Practical steps to bring dry bones to life again. Practical steps to bring dry bones to life again. So we're going to, I told you we're going to do this, but we're going to poke around in some sore spots, maybe even some infected wounds, uh, with the hope and the expectation that you will find the healing that Jesus provides and the peace and the refreshing that you've been looking for. So let's get started with today's message uh, or today's step toward, first step toward rehydration. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first 11 verses. I, I expect that you heard this either in a literature class that you've taken or if you've been in church for very long, you've probably heard this as well. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Verse 3, God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you're going to die. Verse 4 said, you, you won't die, the servant replied. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she, she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. She gave it to her husband, who was with her, silent, but with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The Lord God called out to man, 
to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Please pay attention to this verse. This is the focus of the message today. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Please know when God asks a question, he is not looking for information. Have y'all had that conversation with your kids yet? When I ask you, I already know. Right? God already knew. So I want to pick up on that last verse and remind you of what God said to Adam in that moment. What he's saying to us today. And the title of today's message is, Who Told You That? Who Told You That? Not long ago, I was ministering in the altar, and, and I had a brief exchange with a lady that I've known for a long time, and, and as I started to walk away and go pray with somebody else, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me, and I stepped back, and I said, who was the first person who told you you were worthless? And she didn't look shocked at all. This is a matter of, it was very matter-of-factly, she said, my dad and my mom, and then later my husband, and my kids. It's just, there's just a whole, a whole bunch of people that have told me all my life that I'm worthless. And it broke my heart. Because this is a very intelligent, highly successful, highly accomplished, well-educated, professional woman. Successful in her field. Sought out for her wisdom and her advice. And I knew in that moment that the hard work and the dedication that she walks in was not just born out of a great work ethic and commitment to her clients. She was trying to outrun the words that had been sown into her ears since before she was able to even understand them. And I also knew in that moment that she was not the only one in this house. And I could almost hear the inner dialogue and I think this is going to be familiar to a lot of you. Oh, I'll show him. This is what's going on in their mind. I'll show him. I'll show her. You think I'm worthless? I'll show you just how much I can accomplish. She had something to prove. Not something to live up to. Something to live down. And the problem with that as a motive is that there's no finish line. It's never enough. I got to do more. Got to earn more. Got to get more accolades. Got to get got to get another degree. Got to get a better job. Got to got to get an additional job. Got I got more more more. And the problem is the voice in your head is never going to accept the evidence you present. It's only there to highlight your failures. So you keep trying to do more and to do better until you run yourself into the ground, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually spent from a life of overachieving and doing what the Bible calls striving. And ironically, it's all those years of hard work that have exhausted you to the point that now you really can't do what you've always done, which in your mind fulfills this insidious prophecy that's been spoken over you all those years ago and now you think you're worthless it's a vicious cycle that you get caught in 
there are very few things with more power in and over a person's life than words. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was a fool. Words spoken by you and words spoken to you, even words spoken about you or over you. I want you to look at what the, what the Word says. Very common scripture, but it's, it's incredibly powerful and its application is huge. Proverbs 18 and verse 21, it says this. Somewhere. The tongue can bring death or life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? And those who love to talk will reap its consequences for good or for evil, right? Nobody who's ever been skewered by somebody's words will ever doubt their power. The words you've read and the words you've heard are the foundation of what you believe. And what you believe is the foundation of your life. So today I want you to look at the foundational beliefs of your life. Not the person beside you. Your life. Not just the stuff you say. I'm talking about the stuff you believe. The stuff you act on every day. The things, the things that come out your mouth when you're frustrated. Or when you're tired. Or when you're hurting. The things you say about yourself. The things that run through your head in those quiet moments. The things that you're trying to drown out with all the noise that you surround yourself with because the very idea of having 30 minutes of silence is terrifying to you. The things that have defined your life. The voice of your tormentor and your criticizer mocking you for your failures. And so today I have to ask you, what words have formed the foundational beliefs of your life? Let me run through a few. We've already talked about one. You're worthless. You're ugly. You're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. You're too broken. You are beyond help. You're too stupid to get a good job. Not smart enough to go to school. Or how about this? You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Whatever that means. You're, you're not cut out to be a leader. You'll never have any more than you have right now. People will always let you down. You're not fit for ministry. God could never use somebody like you. Everybody's talking about you. If you ever let people see the real you, they'll reject you. Things don't work out for people like us. Nobody cares what you have to say. You just need to be seen and not heard. Can you not do anything right? Or how about this? Why can't you be more like your brother? or sister, or fill in the blank with whoever was supposedly the perfect person that you can never live up to. And listen, there's a million more. 
These, are, these become foundational beliefs in your life. Some of you have been running on that kind of fuel for years. Things that were said by parents or coaches or teachers or abusive spouses or schoolyard bullies or hateful siblings. Things that were both shouted in anger and whispered for spite. Said in a one-time slash of cutting words or those things that are repeated over and over again every day of your life. Let me ask you what God asked Adam and Eve. Who told you that? Who told you that? And I don't just mean what was the name of the human who communicated those things to you. I mean, what's the source of the information they're giving you? Is it rooted in the truth of God's word or is it a lie from the enemy? Is it a verifiable, undeniable fact or is this somebody's skewed opinion of you God showed up in the garden of Eden he said hey where y'all at and they said from behind the bushes we're hiding because we're naked and God said who told you that what's the source of your information because I never told you that and why are you ashamed all of a sudden you've been naked the whole time I knew that, but shame doesn't come from me. So who told you to be ashamed? See, God had come to walk with them in the cool of the day as was their custom. They hung out like that. God desires to have fellowship with us like that too. But when God showed up, Adam and Eve didn't. Why? Because somebody had told them a lie and brought them shame. The enemy is still telling us lies in order to bring shame and break our relationship with God. If it brings you shame and it separates you from fellowship with God and others, you can rest assured it did not come from God. So who told you that? I want you to think back on the foundational beliefs of your life. Who told you that? We've got to stop just accepting the things we've always believed to be true. Just because we've always heard it doesn't mean it was ever right. You have to consider the source. Lies are drying out your bones. False words are bringing death into your life. You have to start capturing your thoughts and bringing them under subjection to the Word of God and His truth. And I want to show you where that's found. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul said, We're human, but we don't wage wars like humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Paul was correcting heresy and false teaching in the church at Corinth. But he's saying to these people, who told you this stuff? Where did you hear that? Where did you learn that? 
Stop just believing everything you hear and everything you're told. The enemy has wreaked havoc in the American church with lies that sound and feel reasonable. The only way to counteract a lie is what? With the truth. The truth. The key to undoing the lies that you've built your life on, the key to rehydrating your bones from the lying and hateful words that have dried them out is to plunge your old dry bones into the water of the Word of God. What did God tell Ezekiel to, when he showed him the bones? What did he tell him to do? He said, prophesy to those bones. Tell them to listen to the Word of God. Isn't that what he said? It's the same formula we have to use when we're dry. We have to listen to the Word of the Lord and let that Word start to bring life back to our bones. Why? Because His Word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth and life are always found together. Lies always lead to death. It's the truth that sets you free. Jesus said, life comes from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you have to take captive every thought and ask yourself, who told you that? You have to consider the source. Is it a lie that the devil tells you in your moment of weakness? Is it something that was intended to hurt you from somebody who has an axe to grind with you? Or was this another example of a wounded person lashing out from their own pain, passing the poison down to another generation? Make sure that whatever you allow to occupy space in your brain lives up to the truth of God's Word. If it doesn't, get it away from you as fast as you possibly can because it's drying out your bones. Get rehydrated with the truth. The truth. So many of the lies that we've believed have to do with our self-worth. Let me just ask you this. How do you know you're valuable? When do you feel worthy? And who told you that was the standard? Our value and thus our potential is limited by the lies we believe. The problem with believing those lies is that sometimes you think God thinks that about you too. Believing those things about yourself is one thing. But believing that God thinks the same thing about you is spiritual cyanide. I mean, you talk about a, a bone-drying belief. We know that from Ezekiel 37 and 11 that hopelessness dries your bones. Well, how much more hopeless can you get than to believe that God looks at you as a second-class citizen? You might be a child, but you're the red-headed stepchild. No offense to any redhead stepchildren in here. All right? How much more hopeless can you get than to believe that, God's play, that God plays favorites and you ain't one of them? 
or that he expects you to earn your place in the kingdom even though Jesus supposedly paid it all. That kind of thinking does two terribly destructive things in your life. First of all, it creates religion. This is where religion comes from. You will work yourself into the ground to prove to God that you're worthy of His love. When the whole story of the gospel is Him trying to communicate to you how much He already loves you. I don't think y'all got that. You will work yourself to death trying to get God to love you. When the whole book is about proving to you that He already does. He already does. Do you hear that? You are loved. I'm not going to say look at your neighbor and tell them because you already believe it about them. You are loved. You are worthy. You are valued. You. You're worthy because of your, because your relationship with Jesus made you worthy. Your worth... Your value isn't in your activity, it's in your identity. Amen. Your value is in your identity. Your identity is in Jesus, right? He credited, God credited the righteousness of Christ to us and placed our sin on Jesus. That was the great exchange. There isn't anything else you need to do. That will make you more valuable to God. Jesus literally did pay it all. The reason, think about this. The reason people value the prince over the pauper is not because of their activity. The pauper works harder than the prince does any day. If it was about activity, then everybody would be all about the, the pauper. Because he's working hard. It's not about that. It's the royal identity of the prince. That creates his value. So the next time the enemy tries to lie to you, the next time the enemy tries to tell you you're worthless, that you're nobody, that you'll never be anything, that you aren't enough, that everybody else is better than you, then you stop it right in the middle of that and ask, who told you that? Who are you you talking to? Did your mama ever say... Boy, who are you talking to? Y'all mama didn't ever say that? Oh, That's why y'all had that. Anyway, you got to stop and say, who do you think you're talking to? You must be talking to the wrong person because I'm a child of the king. I'm a a member of the royal priesthood. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm I'm worthy. I'm valued. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I'm rescued. I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. I gave up trying to be good enough, trying to earn my righteousness. So if I do sin, I don't have to run and hide from God. I run to him. 
Because Jesus is my advocate with the Father who pleads my case. And when I come to him in repentance, my Father is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and restore me back into the relationship. In myself, I can't do anything. But through Christ, I can do all things. So my hope and my peace and my union with God is built on my identity with Christ, the solid rock, and all other ground is sinking sand. You have to know who you are. I asked the lady in the altar who said she was worthless. I said, do you tell other people? you tell other people they're worthless? Like, you tell other people they have to earn God's love? Do you, do you believe that's the truth about them? And she said, no, of course not. And that's that perfectly common answer. I've heard that over and over and over again. We believe the gospel for everybody else. The hardest person we ever witness to is the one in the mirror. Listen, if you don't believe it for anybody else then why do you think you're the exception on all of the earth in all of human history? You're the one person that God didn't love enough to to give you the righteousness of Christ when you repented. Why do you think you're the only one in the world that's got to earn your salvation? Who told you that? Don't let the lies of the enemy create a false religion That depends on you and your efforts. Because sitting on the throne of that false religion is you. You've made an idol out of yourself. And out of your ability to earn your righteousness. And it's just not going to work. Well, it hadn't in all the thousands of years of human history. So why do you think it's going to work for you? Here's a second terrible thing that happens when you believe these lies as foundational beliefs in your life is that it not only creates a religion with you at the center, but it creates a separation in your relationship with God. It breaks your union with Jesus. It makes you want to run and hide from Him instead of run to Him. See, God knew exactly what Adam and Eve had done, but guess what? He still showed up. He showed up at the appointed time. It was the relationship that was most important to him. See, we still think we have to earn our relationship, our righteousness through activity. But that's the world's idea of love. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. That sort of exchange is not agape love. It's not God's kind of love. It's, it, his love is identity-based, not activity-based. Listen, some of you, maybe some of us, have worked yourselves to the bone trying to get the attention of your earthly father. Because you thought, maybe if I could just do a little bit better, then he'd be proud of me this time. That's not the way the Heavenly Father works. You don't have to try to get Him to notice you. You don't have to try to get Him to be proud of you. You crossed that finish line with Him when you accepted His Son, Jesus. 
that part, that part was over. You've been running a race that you already won. He loves you. Period. Is this the truth, y'all? He accepts you. Period. He's proud of you. Period. Not because of what you've done. Because of who you are in Christ. When the prodigal son showed back up in repentance, the father didn't list all the activities that he needed him to agree to do if he were to take him back. What did he do? He restored his identity as a son. What did he say? Bring the ring. He didn't say bring the contract. Bring the to-do list. Bring all these things that have been gone undone since you left. He said bring the ring. Bring the, bring the robe. Kill the fatted calf. Call everybody together. My son is home. My son's home. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High. Does activity matter? Aren't there things that we should do? Shouldn't we live holy lives and work hard for the kingdom? Yes. A hundred percent yes. But you do that from your identity as a child of God, not in order to earn it. Your identity isn't in the when, it's in the why. Identity should drive activity. When you're trying to get points with God, it pollutes the motive. When you're doing it because you love Him and because you belong to Him, then that's a pure place of love for Him and for other people. Too many people think, i got to get busy doing the work of ministry so God will love me. Who told you that? Because God didn't. So, well, John, this, you, you said this series was going to give us practical steps to rehydrate our dry bones. So what, am we, what are we supposed to do? And we've heard you talking about these words and believe that they've dried our bones. So what are we going to do about it? Well, Get into the Word of God and believe it as the truth over your life. Like when you read it and you believe it for somebody else, you have to believe it for yourself first. So believe what the Word says about you. All those things I just rattled off a few, a few minutes ago are straight out of the Word of God. I can give you chapter and verse. It's what Jesus says about you. So the first thing is get in the Word and start believing it for yourself about yourself. The, the second thing is question the source of everything you believe. Ask yourself, who told you that? Then replace all the lies that you believe with the truth that you believe about everybody else. And then accept your identity as the source of your activity and not the other way around. This is not about earning God's love. This is not about hearing the Father say, hey, I'm proud of you. He's already proud of you. I sent a text message to somebody the other day. Just said, hey, hey, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And what was their response? What would you have said? Why? What did I do? Right? It, it caused an alarm to go off. Oh, I did something right. I need to know what it was so I can do it again. No, no, no reason. Just love you. Just proud of you. 
So here's the last practical step. And Jordan already talked about it. Practical step that you can do to rehydrate your bones against the lies that have dried them out. And that is to worship God, praise Him deeply and personally and intimately. You're like, oh, Lord, it always comes back. Read your Bible and pray and worship God. Yeah. And you were today old when you figured that out. Always comes back to that, not because preachers have run out of stuff to preach, just because it always comes back to that. I've heard many, many people over the years offer excuses as to why they don't worship, they don't praise more openly, more passionately, more intimately. They say things like, well, I mean, I just got no business worshiping God like that. Right? Because that's for the super special people. I don't want people to think I'm more spiritual than I really am. I don't want people to think I'm, they think I'm some sort of, or they think I think that they think that I think I'm some sort of super spiritual. Are y'all confused? It's because it's confusing. I, I don't want people to get offended who really know me. Can I ask you something? Who told you that? Who told you this? Where does this mess come from? And when did somebody else's opinion of you matter more than God's opinion of you? Why do you care if they think that you think that they think that you think anything? You're a son or a daughter of God. You've got the right to spend time with your father no matter what anybody else says. If you at my house and my kids walk in unannounced without knocking and go straight to the pantry or the refrigerator, that ain't none of your business. That's my kid. They get to come in the house anytime they want to because that's where their daddy lives. Don't fall for the shame. Don't fall for the, the, the lies of the enemy. Why do you think the enemy works so hard against true worship? Why? Because people are walking in their true worth and their identity when they worship and praise. You don't come to praise and worship yourself or your activity. You come because of your identity. You come because of your connection with Jesus. You come because you understand who He is and that He is good and that He keeps showing up and it just keeps getting better and the goodness is evident all over your life. You are incredibly valuable to Him. What you have to bring to Jesus is irreplaceable. He cannot get your praise from somebody else. It has to come from your lips. And there's no such thing as silent praise. That is not a thing. What would have happened last week if we had declared, y'all declared pastor appreciation, and then everybody came and sat in the sanctuary with me and never spoke? I suspect I would not feel appreciated. There's no such thing as silent praise. You've got to say something. And God's been so good to us, why wouldn't we? What you have to bring to Jesus is irreplaceable. It's expensive. This is your version of the alabaster box. 
Your worship is pure and valuable fragrance before His throne. What other people say or or have said about you makes no difference to the Father. He does not care. He knows your true worth. And all He wants from you is union. He just wants a relationship. He just wants you to come to Him. And you do that in humility and worship. Acts chapter 3 says that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And let me tell you from experience, nothing refreshes and rehydrates dry bones like standing humbly in the presence of God, knowing that it's not about your activity, it's just about your identity as his son or daughter. You know that we've been talking about this, this glass box or this glass wall that a lot of us are experiencing where you look, you're locked inside watching all the other people get victory and get freedom and, and, and breakthrough and intimacy with the Lord, but, but you don't get none of it. This is how you break it down. Jordan said it. The walls fall when you praise the walls fall when you praise your walls fall when you praise it can't be other people you can see other people praising your walls will fall when you praise and worship what is it Jesus said he, he said, that this lady was telling him, oh, uh, you, the, the, the big debate is whether we worship on the mountain or we worship in Jerusalem, we worship over there. He said, it, it don't really, uh, we're not even going to talk about that. Because the day is coming, as a matter of fact, it's already here, Jesus said, when those who love the Lord are going to worship Him in what? In spirit and in truth. Truth. Not the lies you've been standing in, not the lies that you've built your life on, the truth of God's word standing in your identity as one of his so reject the shame and reject the lies and reject the death that those words have tried to create in you reject the dryness don't accept any other identity don't take anybody else's word for it stand on his word today and enjoy the benefits of your union with him y'all stand with me So you're like, John, well that, that was well, that was interesting. That just happened. What am I supposed to do with that? Act on it. And here's here's what I want you to do. First of all, you have to identify the lie. So figure out what and this may not happen in the next three and a half minutes, okay? You have to identify the lies that your life have been built on. Do you believe it when somebody tells you you're worthless? Do you believe it when somebody tells you you're not enough, you'll never be enough, you're, you're not a leader, you're not a this, you're not... All of those things have been sowed into your life since you might have been, maybe you were a child. You have to identify it first. And once you identify it, you have to renounce the lie. Some people call them a word curse. That's a great, that's a great picture. It's great imagery, a word curse, because they, these, these lies become a curse in your life. So you renounce them. You, you call it out loud. You're like, oh, John, it's getting weird now. You need to say it. Wasn't the lie spoken out loud? 
then you need to you need to renounce it out loud. I ain't saying you stand up in Walmart produce section. I'm just saying you need to confess it out loud and confess and repent for agreeing with it. And you say, yeah, this is the lie, and I believed it. And I repent of that. What's repentance mean? It means you're changing your mind about it. I don't believe that anymore. Now I believe this. I believe this. So you break that agreement with it, and then you declare the truth over yourself. And believe that. You prophesy life to your bones. You worship Him. You praise Him. And you thank Him for the relationship that you have because of Him, not because of you. All right? Is that practical steps enough for you? So let's do it. Let's do it. Father, thank you for a chance to be in your house. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us enough that you give us your word uh, in season. And Lord, I know that you're speaking to us right now. I know you're speaking to me. And God, I just pray that you would help us to identify these lies that we've built our lives on. And we, we probably ain't going to see them all at one time. This is going to be a, a constant process in our lives where we, where we have to identify the lies and ask who in the world said that, who told me that, and then renounce it and, and identify the truth. And I just pray that you help us to do that. Holy Spirit, would you, would you just search our hearts, try us, know our ways, and help us, Jesus, to see the lie and replace it with the truth. Lord, may you rehydrate our bones. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.